Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The gold rush as the precious metal tops $2,000 this week for the first time in a year. And a move from our own Josh Brown today to take advantage of that run. We have that and how the investment committee is playing this market. Joining me for the hour today right here at Post 9, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. Uh, we've been in the red for much of the session today and much of that having to do with the economic data. The JOLTS report today was below expectations. That is good, at least in terms of what the Fed is looking for. It does underscore, though, the softening of the economy, and that was underscored as well by factory orders. So we've got industrials, weaker materials, energy, some of the more cyclical plays. But Josh, that brings me to you and what you have have told us is is a trade. Um, but nonetheless, you bought new uh, Newmont Corp. Yeah. Newmont Mining. Yeah. Um, because it is a gold play. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I bought it yesterday and it's a trade based on technicals. But um, if you've been watching the show for a long time, you know that. One of the things that I really look for is when the technicals align with the fundamentals. And I think with the giant gold miners, that's exactly the situation that we're in. Um, gold has been outperforming the S&P over the last year, up 8% versus minus 5%. Um, if you look at the materials sector broadly, you've got about 68% of them above their 200-day. So you've got kind of a bull market in commodities in general. You've had a, a pretty nice run in the precious metals. And as my friend Peter Bookfar puts it this morning, gold is now about 30 bucks away from making a 5,000-year high. Um, it's already made a new high in every other currency, in the euro, in the yen. So now making a new high in the U.S. dollar, the dollar getting slammed again today. And one of the interesting things about, like, why will this trade work or why does gold go up or down? Um, Urian Timmer from Fidelity has this great chart where he shows every factor that people think believe is the driving force behind gold ebbs and flows in terms of the correlation. You could say it's inflation, it's deflation, it's this, it's that. None of those correlations are permanent, which is very frustrating. But the last big secular gold mark, uh, uh, secular bull market in gold took place 2000, 2001, 2002 in a similar situation economically as the one we find ourselves in today. You saw that again after 2008. You just get these moments where people lose confidence in fiat, in the banking system, et cetera. And for whatever reason, religion or otherwise, they reach for gold. I think the, the demise of Credit Suisse is like an earthquake. And I think a lot of old money in Europe looked at that and said, what are we doing? Why don't we have more gold? So there are a lot of, there are a lot of cross currents happening. If you think about Newmont itself, I love this backdrop. This is the biggest, the highest quality name trading here on the New York Stock Exchange. There's been tremendous consolidation in the gold miners. Newman has been acquiring gold miners. Yamana just got taken out, split in two. Um, the silver went one way, the gold went the other. So you've got 
capacity and cost coming out of the industry. Mm -hmm. And last thing, last year was horrific for gold miners. The cost of mining went way up. We know why. Um, and the commodity price itself went down. This year is the opposite. The commodity price is going up and the costs are moderating. So I like the setup here. You have a dividend. You have a stock breaking out technically. High quality company. I'll stay long. We'll see what happens. Let me ask you, I mean, because you, you sort of underscored to, to our production team that, you know, it's, it's just a trade. Um, but you make a case that sounds so compelling that you, you sound as though it could be more than that. Yeah, look, there are people that are very good at, like, uh, swing trading or buying things opportunistically. They don't even care what the company does. They're purely looking at um, RSI and MACD and all of that stuff. That's not what I do. Um, so this is the type of situation where I think the fundamental backdrop can stay good for a while. And that being said, if the market tells me I'm wrong, if we get a really big turnaround here in the miners or in the commodity or both, I would have to rethink that and yeah. possibly exit. So uh, I'm not married to anything. I'm definitely not married to this. So, you know, Steph, <clears throat> is it as simple as a flight to safety move that <clears throat> has pushed gold above, as we said this week, over 2,000 for the first time in a year? Is it the, you know, the Jamie Diamonds of the world saying the banking crisis is not over? Quote, the current crisis is his annual shareholder letter. The current crisis is not yet over. And even when it's behind us, there will be repercussions from it. For years to come, um, obviously, that's, I'm not saying there's a correlation between it. I'm simply suggesting that as long as you have sentiment like Jamie's, there's going to be a move into gold. No? Yeah, it's definitely defensive. I think it's also a weak dollar play, and it's also a recession play, right? So there's a lot of unknowns right now, and so you can easily see why money would go into gold. Um, I, I have to tell you, Scott, you know, we've been talking about being data-dependent for looking at the economic data points for the, for the last year, right? And that's what we all have been. The data actually, as of late, not so great, right? I mean, so I've been talking about being a little bit more balanced. Maybe this is my version of being a little bit more defensive in what Josh is doing with gold. I don't really want to get over my skis in terms of cyclicals as much as I was. I am actually buying more defensives. I'm more balanced. We've talked about that. But the, the data point, I, I think, that kind of just alerts me to be a little bit more cautious is the leading economic indicators in the PMIs and in the ISMs. They're negative. And that's, again, leading economic indicators. So uh, that is definitely disturbing. And then at the same time, the core PCE on Friday that came out, everybody was singing, you know, singing songs for joy. And it wasn't a good number at 4.6% year over year. The fact of the matter is, the last three months, we've seen 4.6%, 4.7% core PCE. And that is not friendly for the Fed. And so I think the Fed is going to continue to raise and keep rates higher for longer, and that's going to continue to be the headwind. Now, not all is gloom and doom, and I'm not going to tell you that the jolts number of 9.9 .9 million is a bad number. It's not. I mean, okay, fine. It's down from 12. I got it. The, you know, the incremental data point is sure. negative, but it's still very, very good and well above historical averages. But it is something to keep in mind. Yeah. But that's still part of the, the, the thesis of why I want to still at least be in the market and look for opportunities, because it's, it is the consumer that has hung in for now, and it is the job market that's supporting them. You could, look, you could spin the jolts number today, Jim, a, a number of different ways. You could look at it positively in the prism of Fed pausing and saying, okay, this is what the Fed has been looking for, but you can, as I said at the outset, also say it's more evidence building the story that Steph was talking about, that the economy is deteriorating it's, to some degree. You can, we can quibble over you know, the speed of which things are happening, whether it 
ultimately you know, devolves into a recession or not, but it seems undeniably trending in that direction. I have to agree with you. I mean, it's, it's unassailably true. Um, the one thing I will point out is I think there's an important data uh, point coming out tomorrow, Scott, and that's the ISM non-manufacturing index. That's actually been an expansion for several months, and I think we all know that it's the services index that represents far more uh, of the economy than the manufacturing index. Of course, if that comes in and disappoints, then that's going to stink, right? Um, I, I think, however, where we are right now is obviously this is not a time where we have any earnings to sink our teeth into. That's not for at least another week. We're in macro land, whether it's the labor report coming up this week or the CPI, PPI next week. The one thing that, you know, I'm not a technician, I'm not a chartist, I know I'm sitting next to Josh here who's excellent at it, but there are some technicals that stand out to me, and if they stand out to me, they're pretty obvious, okay? Um, I talked a few weeks ago about the fact that you had the Golden Cross on the S&P 500, that's where the 50-day moving average crosses above the 200-day. That's an important positive indicator. The other thing that has happened just in the last week is the 200-day moving average for the S&P 500 has started to go up. Now, it's infinitesimally small, okay? I'm not saying it's some large move, but it is a change in trend uh, for the 200-day moving average. Over the last year, it's been in a complete downtrend. Um, it's way too early to say, hallelujah, the sun's coming out and shining. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that in the absence of earnings to sink my teeth into, which is where I really live, those technicals actually do matter to me. So we're at the lows of the session right now. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, as we're going to show you right here, is down by more than 300 points. We've had, you know, technology over the last couple of days has been weaker as well, even as bond yields have come down, which, you know, will be concerning to some degree to those who are bullish this market and have really hung their hat, if you will, on the idea that technology is once again the place to be, um, that, you know, it is the space that's going to continue uh, to, to lead us higher. I, I go back, Josh, to Diamond, banking crisis not over. I go to Marco Kalanovic, JP Morgan, risk reward for equities does not look attractive uh, into the second half of the year. It's a tune that he's been singing now for several months. So everybody wants a new story and to be out of the range, but we're, we're in the range. And that's really frustrating. People want to see it break in one direction or the other. It stubbornly refuses to do that. I would point out that while March was a good month for the S&P up 3.5%, half of that gain came from Apple and Microsoft. If, you're not, if you don't understand the, the, the market mechanics, if you're not aware of what is producing the gains in the index, then it's easy to look at that and say, oh, look, we're, we're kind of in a bull market again. And the problem with um, moving average crossover strategies is the whipsaw. And if you were to just do a very simple rules-based strategy, I get long when the 50-day crosses over the 200-day, you would be doing a lot of trades in your account over the course of the year in a flattish year. That whipsaw would get you like five months out of 12, and you would basically wind up churning your own account for no reason. So when, when we look at moving average, when we look at crossovers, things of that nature, we run a tactical strategy at our firm that uh, uses market signals. It's not above or below that's important. It's the slope. Are you above the S&P 500 and is the slope 1%, 1.5%? There's got to be some qualifying uh, data there. Otherwise, it's a game that anyone can play. And of course, systematically, it wouldn't work. If it did, why wouldn't everyone do that? So I still think we're in, we're in uh, Chop City. I wish that weren't the case. I still think we're stuck in this range. I don't quite know what jars us out of it in one direction or the other. I'm trying to be mentally flexible. 
uh, for when that moment appears, and it just hasn't happened maybe, yet. I mean, maybe it just boils down to the, the question that matters more than anything else, I guess. Are we going to have a recession or aren't we? The, What's the, the Fed going to do in May? The question, um, are the they going to continue to hike rates? How much of this earnings decline that we're going to experience this year did stocks price in last year? For me, that's the, the actual question. Well, I was going to ask you guys, what, what do you think is priced in right now? What I, is actually priced into the market after a pretty darn good move in the first quarter? I don't think a recession is being priced into the market. Um, I definitely think a slowdown is getting priced in. Just look at the cyclicals, right, versus growth. I mean, the top seven technology companies in the first quarter gained 22.5%. The rest of the market did nothing, right? So it was a, it was totally high concentration, and it was totally defensive. So and what a lot it, of that has to do with the economy rolling over, the Fed and the unknowns there, and then the bank situation. And then, then it's like Josh's gold trade. Add that, too. It's so, all very... It's all, it all kind of makes a lot of sense Let's look me. at 4,100 on the S&P as we speak. We're more or less right there. What does a recession look like on the S&P if it's not priced in in your estimation? Well, I mean, look, I, I mean, I, I've been saying we're in a trading range. I think we could stay in the trading range. Even if, you, even if you yeah. go into a recession? Yeah, I, I kind of think that earnings might hang in a little bit better than what people are expecting or fearing. And that is, I just said, the low dollar. Wage inflation is coming down. It's still high, but it's coming down. Um, and raw material costs are pretty much coming down. So, I mean, I think those are at least tailwinds. Now, I know demand is a big part of the earnings equation, and that's going to be the wild card. And I think in certain areas, in certain industries, it'll hold up better than in others. And so I think you might have, like, some sectors can do well in a recession. It's going to be the defensive names and then and the pricing power stories. And then some sectors are obviously going to get hit, and those are going to be more of the cyclical. The biggest problem that I see is that earnings season kicks off with the banks. And like in this specific mm. case, yeah, that's a good point. That is like the worst leadoff hitter you could think of. Yeah, but they're expected to grow up about ten percent because they're diversified. Understood. Right? But we're also hearing about lack of demand for loans from everybody, yeah. and there should be a lack of demand. Yeah. And we're also going to see, I think, an uptick in loan loss reserves, well, which is responsible, which is prudent. Right, but they're diversified, right? They have capital markets, they have trading. They, right, well, that's what I'm the saying. Big like the, the big the ones. Issue I wouldn't want to be in a regional, and I'm not in any regionals, but the, I think the big ones are very diverse. The issue yeah. for the that's okay. The issue for the banks, and that for me is the canary in the coal mine. I mean, that's the thing I'm looking at is whether this is an earnings contraction. You know, okay, loan loss reserves go up. Sure, they're going to go up. Um, loan demand's down. Fine. You know, if that's something that's just hey, earnings for banks are going to be yeah. not good. I'll live with that. But what's to your question, Scott, what's priced into this market? What's not priced into this market is another shoe to drop in the banking system. So that's well, why obviously. I, well, well, but that's different. I mean, OK, but to the point that Jamie Dimon is making in his annual letter, he thinks there is another shoe to drop. And that's why the top of my stock list is still First Republic right now. I don't own it. You know, I've been I traded it for a little a short period of time there. But that's the canary in the coal mine. If that stock is healthy, I think, you know, the banking system, that's that's the way of saying, OK, it's doing OK. But if that thing goes down to zero, you're going to have another big problem. Two, here. I think there are two shoes to drop. One of them, fortunately, the stocks in question are not big index weights, but I think the shadow banking system, the fintechs, the companies that have come along in the zero interest rate era and started making loans and selling insurance and doing God knows what else uh, with very little financial backing. And yeah, they had great user interface and they got a lot of people to download the apps. 
I think that we're going to hear some horror stories uh, from that space. Again, but not they're credit, not big weights. Though, but not credit. No, and not that's yet. a really big distinction. Not right? yet. I, I agree. Mean, I mean, loan loss reserves have just started going up. They're, of course they're going to go up higher from I mean, I'm just looking. Should. Let me just interrupt you just for a second. You know, as Josh is talking, I, I'm just looking at some of the, the stocks in this space. A firm, for example, Ugh. down 4.5%. It's a $10 stock. All right. Um, you can look at, you know, any number of other ones if you want to go to the fintech world where, you know, those particular stocks and you'll have to forgive me, uh, folks, as I'm, I'm just typing in some names and Are trying you? to look at, yeah. at what's what's happening. SoFi is back the, on SoFi in, uh, is back on six. Um, you know, you've got PayPal's probably PayPal up. probably market cap wise. That's probably the most important name of the ones we're talking about. And then you've got this whole ancillary group that are financial kind of, but they're real estate fintech. And that's a disaster. Um, they could be disasters, but they're not nearly the size of some of the large we all banks. Agree. We all right? agree. So, I mean, we unless all agree. you have 15 of these be- these fintech companies go under at once, that's a problem. But if it's a, like a one-off thing, so, some, it's, I, don't, I would just say, like, remember, under, I think it's more sentiment to have this many yeah. stocks not doing that well. Do you know how many bank failures there's been since 2009? 513. Okay. And we don't and we don't talk about most of them because most of them are just they're small. Do we right? do we need so to take just put it into perspective? I know that, but do we need to take what what Jamie Dimon is saying in his letter more seriously? And I I raised that question because when he made the hurricane comment, you know, people ridiculed it and they made fun of it for weeks and weeks, if not months. And then Silicon Valley Bank blew up. I, I, I thought yeah, he was about, about 10 months later. About 10 months I don't later. care what he was talking well, about. The mere fact that he was talking about a hurricane, maybe he should have said an earthquake because that's what that felt like. And his point in his letter mm-hmm. is that the aftershocks are not over. Well, here's the, here's the problem. The Fed is still continuing to talk about raising rates. No, and that directly hurts the banks, right? It directly increases their cost of deposits, which is a, a force that moves people out of bank deposits and into treasuries and into money markets and just further hurts the, the solvency issues that banks are facing. I'm not saying there are insolvent banks right now. I'm saying that's what will lead to solvency issues. So, you know, look, we're going to get average hourly earnings on Friday. We'll get CPI, PPI next week. Maybe those will come in benign and we can put the pause back on the, uh, you know, back on the news tape here. But with oil going up, that that hurts the thesis. Um, it looks more and more likely that the Fed will raise at least 25 You've basis points You've got to be worried May. about your cyclical leaning yep. in your book I am becoming, today. I am becoming you more worried. You have to be. Yes. I am becoming more worried. I think with banks 100%. also, want, just to put a, a, a bow on this, we have a cash system. We have five banks that basically can get away with paying almost nothing for deposits. And then we have another thousand banks that really have to figure out what they're going to do to keep their deposits in this environment. It's it wasn't an issue when rates were at zero percent, one percent. It becomes an issue four percent, five percent. And we're not done living through that. And I think that's what Jamie was saying in his letter this morning. What are the ramifications for commercial real estate? for small business loans. Like there's a second uh, derivative to this that we haven't seen yet. It's still relatively early. A lot of people have been able to refinance over and over again for the last seven years. That's gonna go away. 
So I don't not think to we mention have, higher regulation, higher capital levels well, for these banks, because that, that's what got them into if, trouble. If everything is FDIC insured from now on, you could bet the right. costs of that are going to go up a lot as well. Let me do this before we take our first break. Um, we mentioned what Josh did at the very top of this block yeah. in terms of, you know, his his buying a uh, Newmont. You bought cured Dr. Pepper. I did. What is that? When you message? were away, I started a position, right. and I just want to make it bigger, and I and I have made it Why bigger. This it's name? definitely much more defensive. It's more of a balance in terms of earnings and organic growth. You're probably going to see like mid single digit growth um, in uh, their coffee business, and in probably upper single digits in their cold business. Innovation has helped on the cold side. The stock trades at an 18 percent discount to Coke and Pepsi. I think that's overdone. I think it's extreme, and I think they have good pricing power. They put the prices in place last year. That should help them this this year. And wage labor cost them 20% last year. And wages are coming down. Not not a lot, but they're coming down. That should help. That should help the margin side. Okay. So let's take a quick break. I hope you'll stay with us because we do have a debate coming up right here on the desk. Stephanie Link selling a stock. Jim's hanging on to it. We'll Uh Find out why. We will next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. Uh, there is your market picture. Dow down 300. Again, jolts came in lighter than expected, which you know the market could deem as a good thing because that's the kind of thing the Fed certainly looks at in terms of where job openings are, the tightness of the labor market, et cetera. But factory orders were weak, too. And uh, this only adding to that story that's being told about the weakening economy. And that's perhaps why you have materials, industrials, some of the cyclical plays leading us to the downside. Dow is at 33,301. That's a loss of, as I said, 300 points. We keep our eye on the markets, of course. We do have a trade alert, however, because Stephanie Link sold Deer, which Jim Labenthal owns. Why'd you sell? Well, it's pretty simple. I talked about the manufacturing numbers that have been pretty disappointing and the PMIs and the ISMs and the, and the leading indicators, the new orders also being very depressed. That's um, kind of the new news is the new order piece. Um, but I, but I'm, I've, I bought this about a year and a half ago, Scott, and I, and I made a lot of money. I mean, I'm up 38% in it. Uh, and I think that it's prudent to take gains when you can. Um, I think industrials in general have held up remarkably well. I still like onshoring. I still like aerospace. I still like ag, by the way. And I like this company, and I love precision ag farming and what that's going to do to their margins. But it's very hard to get to stay aggressive on this name and not take gains when the data, macro data, is telling me otherwise. You want to comment on this since you own it? So a few things. And look, you know what? I mean, Stephanie has been your partner in optimism, not to the degree, you know, nearly that you have remained, um, but she's been there with you. 
and I feel like, you know, she's got one foot out of the car. Yeah. The disloyalty you. is shocking. No, 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 no. You know, all, still, all, still, all, jokes, teammates, all jokes aside. No, all jokes aside. All jokes aside. Um, from somebody um, who has looked at the glass as half full rather than half yeah. empty, I feel like the glass has, doesn't have as much water in it at all anymore. Yeah. So, Scott, for the last almost two weeks, you have been hearing me and the watchers have been hearing me getting a little bit more negative, okay? That rate hike move by the Fed uh, and, frankly, what was said afterwards, which people took it as dovish, I did not, to me indicates that they simply do not get, all right, that they cannot control both inflation and have stability in the banking system at the same time. It's folly to think they can, but they think they but that's only one right. side no, of your no, argument. No, I want me, you to I want you to okay. address head on your belief from yeah. as long as I can now remember about the alleged strength of the economy and how it's going to just continue to hum along and avoid perhaps any well, it, landing it has. whatsoever. It has. What, thus far. I, I, it has. Okay, okay, great. Okay. Great. I mean, it has. Yeah. But and, that doesn't and mean we've anything. We've been having that argument for solidly. It's not a year an argument. Now. Okay? It's not an argument. Okay. It has. Do you want to talk about deer or the economy? I want you, you tell me which. It's the same story. I mean, Steph is well, Steph is selling no, it because she believes the economy is deteriorating. Okay. Well, if you let me just hold on a second, all right? Because deer. I just want you to address the, the main issue, not the Fed. I want you to address where the economy is going. Well, I just did. But let me address deer because there's something specific about deer, which is that it's agriculture. And with what's been going on the last year in the middle of Europe, in the breadbasket of Europe, there needs to be more planting, regardless of what goes on in the economy, recession or not. Deer, attractively priced, low teens is a forward multiple. Precision farming uh, with their equipment really should continue to benefit uh, from what's going on, unfortunately, uh, in Ukraine. So it's really that simple. Now, by the way, this I were, agree with by you the on way, ag, and I own Corteva, and I still okay. own Corteva. And by the way, if this were Caterpillar, reason. and in the in the commercial break, I said, "Are you in Caterpillar?" Yeah. You said, "No." That would be a different story. That would be more like. Well, okay. she sold Caterpillar. I did. Okay, she sold it. All right, but I'm talking about what I own, which I, is deer, I, I, I and I don't own Caterpillar. And the consistency here that I'm saying is that this is about crop plantings and the after effects of the war in Ukraine. But they do also have a construction piece, too. It's about 20% yeah, of the company. And that's going to be. But by the way, I don't want you thinking that I dodged your question, okay? I answered your question, and I have for the last two weeks. I'm getting incrementally more negative. I mean, I can't, can't be any clearer about that. Now, she's quicker than me. I, I just ask, don't know what can, that means. Can I, can, can I ask a question, dear? Uh, yes, honey. 12 times earnings. Uh, where does this typically, where, where does that multiple typically end up at the top of a cycle? Last year, it was at 20 times. It was one of the best no, no, industrial stocks. No, that's the bottom. That's 12 earnings. Yes. No, no, Ish. no. Not really? No, no. Last year was probably where, like, peak. Where do we see that PE usually when the cycle is turning negative? Is it like eight times earnings? Is it like? At the trough. Yeah, I mean, you could get you could get in the single digits for sure, but I don't think you're at the trough. I mean, they just put up record results no, no, no. last year. I'm saying the other way around. Yeah. These stocks are buys when the multiple is most oh, expensive. Yes, yes, yes. I see what you're I saying. Feel, yes. I feel as though this is the type of company where they keep earning, but the multiple keeps contracting yes. because the market sees it as, all right, if it's not peak earnings this year, it is next year. Um, and I feel like a lot of the opportunity in these areas ebbs away. I love Deer. I think it's one of the way, quality names. Our Seema Modi um, emailing our, our group as part of our markets coverage. Cats at the lows of the day, down 5%, five percent, five and a half. Yep. Be the worst day uh, since March the 10th. Uh, also on track to break a six-day win streak. You've got, again, as you've been talking about PMIs, ISMs, URI is down 4%. You don't own that anymore, do you? No. United Rentals. Deer, of course, down 4 Eaton, 
down four and a half. They all are. They all are. I mean, this manufacturing has been in recession, and it doesn't look to be troughing right. <laughs> anytime soon. And the stocks have held up remarkably well. Until right? now. Up until now. And I think that that's one of the reasons. Like, look, I'm just taking some gains. I'm, I, I would love to get back into all of these names, and I definitely will if there's an opportunity. But I just feel like, hey, 38%, 39% in a year and a half's time is not a bad uh, profit think, to take. Think, and I, I just, I, but I like the companies, but I just feel like you're right. The, Josh hit it. The multiples are contracting, even if earnings hold up. I think one thing we can agree on, like, Deer is among the highest quality companies in the yeah. space. The business model is very different than it has been in different cycles. They figured out the software as a service. The farmer doesn't pay the bill. Literally, the equipment is remote shut off. It's a, it's a whole different ballgame. However, it's still a cyclical. And if credit is not going to be flowing as freely through the economy because of this banking shock and other reasons, uh, these are the types of stocks it's going it, to you're going to need to defend your, your reason for owning it like every morning you wake up. And they up. all have financing arms. Look, I, I think good uh, thing I'm on the show. I, I think so. You know what? And, and <laughs> so have a fun year. <laughs> and thank you in part for saying that. And that's what I feel that's like I'm, I'm trying to do with people who remain the bullish to the degree that you have. It's a bad I can day, ask Scott. you these questions. Scott, I, I can day. ask you it's, these wait, questions. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to interrupt you. As for every once. time the I'm gonna interrupt you for data once. comes out. It is out. a bad day. Okay. Before this, we've had a torrid quarter, a torrid start to the year. We're having a lousy, it's not even crappy that bad day. Of a day. It's not even that bad of a day. Well, you're making it out like the economy's falling off a cliff today. All right. If we were having this conversation, no, I mean the on writing's Friday, been on the wall that the economy's been slowing for some time. Well, dear, it's just dear the consumer has held up. Yeah. And, and that's like trivial that the consumers held up. That's seventy percent of the economy, and they've held up because they have jobs. I mean, we're having a bad day. If you want to give me gruff because, you know, whatever, I, the cyclicals are down today, I got it. You know what? It's been a pretty good year. Like, we're, we're having a bad day. Let's not freak I do, out about I, I it. I do 100% agree with Jim on the consumer hanging in there. It, they really have hung in there. And one of the I mean, reasons it's, why it's I recently... It's not debatable. It's a fact. Right, right. One of the but reasons I'm not why suggesting I otherwise. But that's a big part why of the trivializing it. It's a big How part am I trivializing it? You're like, well, yeah, okay, the, the they, consumer's the hung consumer's in there. The consumer's hanging in there, and services is hanging in there. It's going to slow eventually, but that has been the price. 75% of the economy. You hear what Steph just said? It's going to slow eventually. Okay. You yeah, act as though saying, it's never going to. You act like it hasn't been a year that you've been saying that, and it hasn't happened. I, I told you that the economy has held up far better for far longer yeah. than people expected it you, would. Listen, you're holding my feet to the fire about what I say. I'm holding your feet to the fire about what you say. You're saying I've been bullish for a year. You're damn right. And I've been right for a year, okay? The economy's hung in there. You've been saying for a year that it stinks, it's about to fall off a cliff. It hasn't. Now, you've maybe been right? I mean, did the market have, up, did you, the market have a great year last year? No, it didn't. Did well, what I do you mean you've been did right? Did I sell into that? Did I give up into that? No, I didn't because I have the guts and the courage of my conviction because I think for myself, Scott. Worth pointing out, Deere is actually negative on the year. The S&P is up about 8%. Okay, I've owned it's it since May. It's up 11%. The S&P 500 is up 5%. It actually, and everybody who, actually you know what? Year last year. Everybody it had who, an excellent year Everybody last who year. didn't sell last year is right. Who was bullish, mm. apparently. You're going to trivialize that? We had this conversation at the end of the year. If you sold last year, you're darn right, you lost money. You lost money last year. You turned temporary losses into permanent okay, losses. Okay, so when you, when you open your... Uh, I don't even know why we're having this discussion anymore. When you, when you open your statement at the end of last year, but you didn't sell, so you felt really good. 
if you didn't sell? Scott, long-term investors. Who does know, that? Long-term investors who know what they're doing, who know why they own stocks. In that case, you're never get, down. Why do you feel you always have to interrupt me? Are I mean, you scared I just of what don't I'm going to say? Are you scared, scared about, about what you're going to say? Because I don't understand why you always interrupt me. I just don't understand the point of suggesting that you didn't sell, okay, we'll so therefore we'll you were right. We'll do what we did on December 31st. Let me ask you this. Do you remember your losses from 2008? Are you still nursing those? I'm not going to nurse last year. It's this year. The markets are up. I mean, I'm not. I'm, you know what? If, if Why are I the markets sold, up? Why are the markets up? The markets because are up of because of like 10 stocks. Yeah. Uh, no, that's not. That, that's actually not exactly true. Okay. Yes, a large part of it is Apple and Microsoft. It's not all Apple. I said and ten. Okay. Not we'll take two. a look at Wynn Resorts. Take a look at Boeing. Take a look at Paramount. Those are not Apple and Microsoft. Okay. There is more to this market than what than what you're perceiving it to be. And to answer the question of why the market's up, is because at the end of last year, everybody was absolutely convinced there's going to be a recession. Now maybe there will be, but people are not as convinced as they were at the end of the year. Or they're just convinced that the Fed's going to pause because of the banking crisis and technology has carried a large or maybe part the of Fed, the load. Maybe the Fed will pause because inflation's coming down. We'll see. We're going to have to leave it there. We will. Uh, <laughs> you know what's not coming down? Oil. It's been going up lately, giving up its earlier gains. It's still up 9% over one week. To come, uh, we'll get the committee's take on how to play that next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, welcome back. Uh, you're looking at a live picture right there of Midtown Manhattan, just outside Trump Tower, still waiting for former President Donald Trump, expected to leave Trump Tower, head down to the courthouse in lower Manhattan for his official arraignment. Our Eamon Javers is in Washington, D.C. today with the latest on the timeline. What we should expect as this all uh, transpires, Eamon. Scott, with no movement yet at Trump Tower, as you say, and we're waiting for that. Uh, the former president is due in court by about 2.15 this afternoon. That timeline could slip a little bit, but that's what we're expecting. I'm currently looking at uh, six live feeds here of Midtown Manhattan and Lower Manhattan. So we've got all the angles uh, covered for you for whenever we do see that movement by the former president of the United States. He's going to go to the court. He is going to be fingerprinted, booked. Uh, he is going to be processed in many ways similar to any ordinary defense. Although this is no ordinary situation, this is the first time a former president of the United States has faced criminal charges. We'll see the president in court later today, but we won't get live pictures of that. We're expecting still pictures of that moment will be released after the fact, but we don't expect that we'll be able to have TV cameras there. Uh, one big question in all this is whether or not the former president will stop to talk to pool reporters who are on scene inside the courthouse. Uh, having covered 
former President Trump for a number of years. I can tell you he does like to stop and talk to reporters. So I would imagine uh, that that's a possibility today as well. All of it's going to wrap up in a couple of minutes in the court hearing. Uh, then we expect to see the former president make his way back down to Florida later this afternoon uh, and have a rally with supporters back down in Florida close to Mar-a-Lago, where we expect him to bed down for the night, Scott. So a big day ahead uh, for the former president of the United States. Yep. And uh, we will show you uh, those live pictures. Eamon, thank you very much. We'll show you the live pictures outside Trump Tower the minute we see the former president emerge, get into the motorcade and start his way, uh, start to make his way down to lower Manhattan. Let's do our chart of the day now. Uh, WTI crude hovering near $80 a barrel, uh, still higher for the week. Uh, it's been an interesting story for certain. It's down a touch today. Uh, but this remains, too, Josh, a considerable story that we need to follow. As Mark Newton of Fundstrat says, the rally's confirmed with the breakout we've witnessed this week alone. Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think if you think about this uh, group of stocks, they're actually underperforming year to date after one of the best years of all time for the sector. So a little bit of a cool off makes sense. The median performance over the last week, though, for these names is plus 5%, and they're pretty much all working. 81% of the IEO ETF, which is what I own, which is how I'm involved in, in the space, uh, are over their 20-day moving average, 44% over their 50. Only 33 are above the 200-day, which means, I think, that there's room to run. Look at valuation. The median P.E. ratio of components in the IEO, these are all uh, oil and gas producers, not the, ma the majors, like the regular uh, producers. Median P.E. of five, median forward P.E. of seven, uh, price to free cash flow of five, and the expected earnings growth uh, is 10% plus for pretty much every one of these names. So I think there's room to the upside in terms of valuation. And now the technicals are starting to look a lot better than they looked even a month ago. So I'm in the group. I hope it works. Um, it was a great place to be last year. Hopefully we get a repeat this year. You feel, Jim, like you have you know, some newfound Love in this space. I mean, just given that oil, look, oil had a six handle on it not that long ago. Now it's 80. And we have a new dynamic of the OPEC shock from, uh, you know, a day or so ago. And we have another new dynamic, which you and I have spoken about, which is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Uh, and you and I have lamented the fact that the government did not refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve down in the 60s. They should have. I think maybe the debt ceiling got in the way. But just to just to make this concise, they're not going to be filling it at these prices. And more to the point, the, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is too low to be making any withdrawals right now. So that's not going to help the price go down. I listened to your interview, by the way, with Mark uh, Fisher yesterday. It was very good. Uh, you know, what I heard him say is the, the uh, trading range is 65, kind of to 90 now. It was 85, but he's put some upside on it. And then producers will come in. And there is a long history of OPEC cheating on its quota. So I do think 90, he's right, Mr. Fisher, that uh, there will be some production increases at that point. Steph? Yeah, I mean, it's all about, to me, free cash flow. They're going to make a lot of cash in $65 oil or $90 oil. So, And what they're going to do with that cash is what they've been doing, which is different over the uh, versus the last many, many years. Uh, they are buying back stock. They're increasing their dividends. They're not producing as much or not overproducing. They're still producing. But the, uh, but the point of it is, is that these stocks are, are trading very cheaply. Here's the one caveat. I mean, if you go into a recession, these stocks are going to go down, right? Because they are cyclical by nature. But that being said, Said, at least the free cash flow gives them uh, a lot of opportunity to create, as I mentioned, and shareholder returns. And don't forget returns. China. 
I, I like sure. how they're calling themselves OPEC Plus now. It's like a streaming app. So, <laughs> yeah. I, there were a lot of great shows yeah. on OPEC it Plus. It only cost you 80 bucks. <laughs> it's the most expensive of the apps. It's 80 bucks. <laughs> Good luck. All right, up next, a new call to sell one Dow stock that both Stephanie and Jim own. We'll get into that debate next. All right, welcome back. Let's get to our call of the day now. Boeing downgraded to sell at North Coast Research. The analyst says production schedules and consensus forecasts need to be reset due to issues with the global supply chain. Um, I'll I'll give you the the platform first, Jim. Um, Obviously, the stock's had a great run, and I know how much you like it. What about this call? So one of two people are right. Mr. Olin, who's the analyst at North Coast, or Mr. Stan Deal, who's the head of commercial aircraft at Boeing, who last Thursday announced that a production increase is coming, in his words, very soon. Uh, One of those two people are right. They can't both be right with what they say. Now, I happen to think it's Mr. Deal, the head of commercial aircraft at Boeing. Uh, Management at Boeing has done a very good job of rekindling my enthusiasm for them over the last year. If they screw this up, I'm going to be apoplectic. Uh, I I, I can't imagine that they're going to be decreasing production, which is what Mr. Olin seems to think will happen after three days ago, three business days ago, saying they're going to be increasing it very soon. We shall see which one of them is right. I mean, they've had supply chain issues for the last two and a half years. You don't like the call either? I do not like the call. I mean, I don't know why you would. You own the stock, right? I own the stock and I own GE. They're both in the same theme. But I mean, we've been talking about supply chain problems for years, for years. Uh, if just go listen to any of the conference calls, right, of, of Boeing. And by the way, even of GE. But they're just getting going, right? Now they get the 737 MAX. They have the 787 under production and deliveries. They get the production going. They deliver the planes. Free cash flow then increases. And that's what the stock trades on. Um, and, and so I'd, I'd be a buyer on the stock on any weakness. Does... Does a potential recession factor in here at all, you Jim? Know, I mean, the- well, the backlog—they have 4,000 planes in backlog, yeah. and that has to get done. That has to get worked through. So because orders can be think- canceled in a big bad recession. Yes, a big like great financial crisis type of recession. Yes, I only don't think in that scenario. That. Yeah. Yes, because think about these orders wow. that have been coming okay. in from the likes of Air India, Delta, United. Yeah. You know these these airlines are planning for the next seven to ten years. Right. They're not going to let a couple of quarters get in the way of and that. And these new planes are so much more efficient, right? So they're they're helping their customers. They're saving money. Absolutely. Uh, you you would not place an order for for thirty planes based on your 90-day outlook for the economy. Yep. I, could, I don't think anyone's operating that way. What, so I agree with you guys. To what degree do we look at it and say, well, the stock's been up 57%. There's a lot of optimism, obviously, in it already. This or or be, not. I don't know. You tell me. This used to be a $400 me. stock, right? I mean, in its heyday. So I'm not sure it goes back to that. But I do think that there's a lot of people that don't believe, right? And so I think when you have a duopoly with 4,000 planes in a backlog, I mean, that, that's very compelling. They just had to get the 737 MAX situation under control, we, and they did. Steph, we left one thing, and I did this to you in the China. last I know. Last I, didn't think, I thought you were going to tell us. No, so over the weekend, China started take, saying they were going to accept deliveries again after whatever it is, two, three years of 737 MAXs. These are planes that are already built sitting on tarmacs around our country. They're going to fly them over there. They don't need to produce them. They're going to fly them over there and get free cash flow when they deliver them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Up next, Mike Santoli is with us for his midday word next. We are back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here now with his midday word. Um, Jolts was a big deal. 
It was. Um, big drop. I mean, you use half a million job listings. And the market reaction is more interesting. Uh, just the yields getting compressed, 10-year possibly breaking down. And people have been on alert for this idea that the relationship between stocks and bonds maybe is going to evolve and switch, right? Lower yields are not necessarily good for the indexes. Way too early, I think, to make that conclusion. But that is the recession caller's case, mm-hmm. is that we're transitioning from being afraid of the Fed to being afraid of the economy. I think the tactical question is, is it exactly this easy that the S&P gets up to the same level, 4,100 to 4,200, the VIX gets below 19, um, the economic surprise index gets to the cycle high and maybe hesitates a little bit there, uh, and again, the 10-year breaks out of its range, and then all of a sudden it's a big sell again. I don't know if that's the case. You have had higher lows when you've had these pullbacks. Yeah. You have 3 4% before you even have to worry about whether that's the case. It's just harder for the rotation to take hold uh, in favor of mega cap growth when the QQQ is at you know 320 instead of 293 weeks ago. If you had an algorithm, wouldn't you write it to buy at 4105? What do you mean if? Well, okay. Um, I know you well, guys have access so. to the secret out. Big secret revealed. Look, you give it a shot anyway. And like, isn't say, that the, if we break, if we, for whatever reason, we, gotta, I gotta we break through, yeah. that's the buy, right? So, Santoli confirms we'll it. We'll work yeah. on it. I'll see you in a couple hours. Uh, that's Mike Santoli, of yeah. course. We got finals next. Dow's down 262, so it's off the lowest levels of the session. Uh, Jolt's coming in a bit softer than expected, which uh, would perceive to be a good news moment for what the Fed has been looking for in terms of the labor market. Factory orders, though, weak, only underscoring to some that uh, the economy is weakening. And that's why you've had yields come down and stocks have been under uh, pressure, although, look, it's it's modest, obviously. Dow's only down 250. S&P down some 27 points. There's been a lot of focus on the Nasdaq of late as well. Uh, It is down some 67 points, too, uh, but not big moves really anywhere across um, the space. Let me let you know, too, about uh, Closing Bell in a couple hours before we go. Bruce Richards is with me today. Gary Kaminsky is going to be with me, along with Anastasia Amoroso. We're going to get into all of this and what the outlook is for the weeks and months ahead. Uh, Jimmy, just give me your thought here. You don't have to give me a final trade yet because we do have uh, a few moments to tap dance before we get to that. Uh, However, I would like your, your sort of feel on, on how the market's been acting over the past couple of days as the calendar turned to April, which is seasonally supposed to be good. Yeah, it's been hanging in there, but today sucks. I'm sorry, it really does not <laughs> feel good. And if I was a little irascible with you, maybe because I don't like the action today. Okay. Um, that said, <laughs> it's not that bad. I mean, it's down to S&P is down only 26%. Like it's bad with what we are. <laughs> right. No, but here's what I'm looking forward to is My let's God. see the ISM services tomorrow. Give me the average hourly earnings and labor force participation rate on Friday. Give me the CPI PPI. That's going to color my mood one way or the other. All those data points. Josh. Uh, jobs number. Jobs again, number. Jobs number the end on of the Friday. Week. We're not. For, for me, the market's going to be closed. We got but the PCE jobs number still going to come out. We got PCE last week, so that's like in the can. But that was for. Agreed. That was for February. I, I really, th- I really feel like the jobs number has started to become more important, though. Like if you see the reaction today is on jolts, which, by the way, no offense, America, fake number. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but non-farm payroll is a, a backward-looking indicator. It's initial claims. It's initial claims that you want to actually continue to watch. But it's noisy. It's weekly. It is. This is a bigger right. one. For that, me, for that's me. a four-week moving average. You smooth out in, in initial claims. That's that's the better read, in my opinion. But average hourly earnings are going to be big too. Agree to disagree. Agree Let's to do, disagree. Uh, That's what we always do. We agree to disagree. We love, we love as, each other. As much as, as much as Twitter is really a buzz over the discussion that we we had we got uh, into earlier, it. the best part of, <laughs> I think, this is that 
as it relates to you, you can give it as well as you can take it. And uh, I appreciate uh, and certainly respect your opinion. And likewise, on, Scott. On everything. Likewise. Yes. Just don't ever do it again. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to ask for control of the mic next time. Uh, let's do final trades. Uh, Stephanie Link. Um, Procter & Gamble, another defensive position. I don't own it yet, watching it very closely, but they have great product innovation, productivity initiatives, cost savings, pricing power. This is a quality company. If it falls in a, in a, in a bigger market pullback, this is one that I would be buying. Okay. Uh, Farmer Jim. Cisco Systems, in a week where there isn't that much in terms of earnings and company-specific things to sink your teeth into, I would say if you don't own this stock, it's a steady eddy over many, many years. It does well in a bad market, in a good market. And this is an easy entry point right here at which to own it. Patty, give me a one-year chart on Oracle, if you please. <laughs> I, will, I will speak over it. Um, this, this was a breakout that we've been uh, talking about being in the making for a very long time. A lot of consolidation in this name finally broke out yesterday. I actually added to it on that, on that breakout. I don't know who would be selling it here. So barring some market-wide catastrophe, this, I think, is going to be among the new leadership group in the market. Large cap tech, but under-owned, under-appreciated big-time uh, player in cloud now, and I think the stock can continue to work. Still not expensive. I think one of the most interesting things, too, guys, in, in, the, in the 20 seconds or so that we have left, even as, you know, technology hasn't done, you know, great over the, the last couple of sessions as the calendar has turned, uh, it hasn't fallen out of bed either. Right. And even the stocks that are down, like an Apple, is only marginally so. So keep an eye on that. I'll see you in a couple hours. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 